Thank you, Asanda 12. I'll make it five minutes past 12. This is the Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Thank you for joining us. It's good to have you with us. Well, we will talk to NUMSA, uh, one of COSATU's biggest affiliates. They are holding the National Bargaining Conference in Pretoria. Some of the issues that I will put to their General Secretary, Irvin Jim, when he joins us, uh, is the call uh, for COSATU's early elective conference. That's what uh, we told the union is uh, trying to put together right now. They want a discussion around that. And, uh, of course, uh, the, the union's president has likened the NDP to a copy of uh, the DA's document. So we look at that as well. And the hands of Vavi. Uh, those are some of the issues uh, coming through from uh, that conference and of course the ANC victory in 2014 is what NUMSA is discussing Uh, these are just some of the issues that uh, they will be deliberating on so we welcome your SMS is 34701 but also we'll try and go to Zimbabwe just to get a sense of uh, their understanding of the so called 900 million rand loan from South Africa to that country have they been told officially now that uh, this loan has been approved by South Africa what is it for? Is it for uh, the upcoming elections? President Jacob Zuma's international relations advisor Linda Wezulu saying that the 900 million rand credit to Zimbabwe is not meant to bail out that country's forthcoming elections so we'll be looking at uh, that story as well, hopefully we'll be able to get to Zimbabwe and uh, the Iron Lady in the UK, Margaret Thatcher is being laid to rest today, some people turning their backs on her um, you know, during her last moments uh, we, we look at the security setup there and of course uh, with all the dignity dignitaries uh, attending that uh, particular uh, funeral there. It's uh, seven minutes past 12. This is a midday live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And uh, we are also monitoring what's happening uh, insofar as SATU is concerned. They're going on uh, lunchtime pickets, so we'll be monitoring that situation. But if you are an unemployed graduate, you might want to listen closer to this uh, discussion that we're having right now. And also maybe you want to comment on 34701. Otherwise, uh, tweet us. We are at B News. That's our Twitter handle, B News. Uh, the number of uh, graduates in the workforce, so we're told, has uh, more than doubled. And uh, this is according to a report released by the Center for Development and Enterprise. The research shows that uh, the problem of graduate unemployment is exaggerated and black graduates are gaining ground. For more on this now, let's talk to Hendrik van Brookhuizen, who is a researcher at the Department of Economics at Stellenbosch University. Hendrik, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Bongi. Thanks for having me on. Well, the, the figures, according to your research, exaggerated, but we know that there are tens of thousands of unemployed graduates who are really out there. Just to help us understand, how did you arrive at this? So we use statistics of Africans' labor force survey data to come to this conclusion. Um, and it's a comprehensive survey that co- uh, covers a lot of labor market-related ground as well as education statistics. And from that, the impression we'll get is, is fairly clear. We can determine how many graduates there are in the South African population of working age, and we can also determine how many of them are unemployed. Um, and as it stands from the approximately 1.1 million graduates that were in the labor force at the end of 2011, only about 58,000 of them are actually unemployed. And this amounts to, I think, just under 5% of graduates being unemployed. And within the context of Africa's overall unemployment rate, this is very, very low indeed. But uh, in, insofar as the, the graduates' uh, family, this is quite a lot. I mean, 60,000 is, uh, is uh, mind-boggling. Certainly, it's, but, I mean, it has to be taken in context, right? It's, 60,000 of 1.1 million. So it is by far and away the group with the lowest unemployment rate in South Africa. I mean, we know that the unemployment rate decreases as one moves up the education ladder. Um, and that, that finding holds certainly for graduates as well, who have by far and away the lowest probability of actually being unemployed. I mean, that's not to say that one shouldn't be concerned about the 60,000 somewhat graduates who are unemployed. Certainly, measures should be taken to ensure better employment opportunities for them as well. Um, but within the overall context of Africa, South Africa's broader labor market problems, I think that focusing too much on graduate unemployment perhaps is not, uh, is not where we should be focusing. How accurate is this study? So, I mean, I think that a lot of people have asked a question. I know that there have been other figures in the media, but at least the methodology that's employed is completely transparent, so one can scrutinize the methodology if you like. Um, certainly, we have reason to believe that the of Africa's data and figures 
are some of the most accurate that we can get our hands on. Um, and I think that it, it certainly is more accurate than many of the other studies that have been publicized. All right, let, let's focus a bit on unemployed graduates. And what are the reasons, if you, you went as far as really establishing that, the reasons behind their unemployment? So a part of this is the fact that South Africa's graduate corpse is growing very, very rapidly. So you've got a larger number of relatively young graduates. We know that young people are at a distinct disadvantage when they enter the labor market. There's a time um, that they search for work, and it's often very difficult for them to find it um, relative to people who are more experienced. Um, but then there's another issue of people simply studying perhaps in the wrong direction, a direction that's not suited for them. And uh, we know that there's differences in the job prospects by graduates who've graduated from different institutions as well. In terms of actually getting to the figures of those, that's very difficult because it's very difficult to discern precisely which graduates that are identified in the labor force survey data or in stats of data, data um, where they actually obtained their degrees. And um, so that's research that we're moving forward with at the moment, trying to find out precisely which universities produce graduates have the best labor market prospects. All right. And, and again, staying with unemployed graduates, are they are they new graduates that are unemployed, or are the graduates who have been looking for work for a while, some even getting closer to being categorized as uh, uh, really frustrated unemployed graduates who've been really looking for work for a very long time? Look, I think it's, it's a mixed bag, and I think you can say that pretty much of all unemployed in South Africa. I think for graduates, perhaps it's difficult to speak to the level of frustration among graduates. Certainly there's an expectation that when you have a bachelor's degree or higher that it will be easy for you to find work. So, I mean, one would assume that certainly those graduates who are unable to find employment immediately will be very frustrated. Mm. Um, but in terms of, of determining whether it's that, that's the greater proportion of unemployed graduates, that's not immediately clear to us. Um, certainly we know that the labor force participation rates amongst graduates are significantly higher than for other education cohorts. We seem to suggest that graduates are willing to stay in the labor market longer even when they're unemployed trying to find work right it's discouraged job seekers the term that i was looking for but let's go now to to the employed ones who is absorbing them is it uh, is it is it government is it a private sector and where which, which sectors do they go to engineering economics finance so again the in terms of the finer industry in which they go to that's more difficult to answer because we're working with, with sample surveys, um, these figures can jump around quite a lot year on year, so it's difficult to discern a trend. What does seem obvious is that increasingly graduates are being employed more in the private sector than in the public sector. Um, I mean, that, we know historically that a lot of graduates have been employed by the public sector, but this seems to be changing quite rapidly over time. Mm. And uh, the unemployed graduates, really, what, what can they do? Uh, you know, it's, it's really frustrating to study for three, four years, even seven years, and uh, you don't find employment. So what do you do? Certainly. I think there are a lot of graduate development programs that are now coming out, um, I think primarily on the basis of the, the notion that graduate unemployment was far worse than we now know it is. But nevertheless, these programs are, allowed, are around, and uh, I think graduates who are frustrated should certainly look into that. But I think it's also the notion of not despairing, not being hopeless, and realizing that the situation is not necessarily as desperate and as bad as people thought it was beforehand. Um, but also for, for those people who are going into to studies or considering uh, getting a degree at university, really concentrating on what it is that they want to do, what the labor market demand is for certain fields of study, and ensuring that they don't just obtain a degree. I mean, a degree is just a piece of paper. The important aspect is that they are able to do something with that degree, mm. and that really requires a lot of forethought. All right, Hendrik van Broekhuizen, thank you very much for that. He's a researcher at the Department of Economics at Stellenbosch University. Vuyo Epai writing through on 34701 saying that research findings will never be as accurate as hearsay and allegation. Well, not too sure about that, as you heard from Hendrik there saying that very, really close to being accurate. Let's uh, go now to the matters education, but uh, basic education is what we're focusing on right now as we speak to our reporter in KwaZulu-Natal, Durban, Stuart Lovu, South African Democratic Teachers Union members 
in that province have gathered outside the provincial education offices at Truro House in Durban to begin their picketing this uh, following an agreement reached yesterday during a, a meeting held between Satu and school principals across the country. Satu's provincial deputy secretary, uh, Doli Kaluza, they're saying that uh, they are intensifying their call for basic education minister Angie Motsecha and her DG uh, Bobby Subrayan to resign. What is the situation like uh, there in Guazunatal, Stu? Very good afternoon, listeners. Yeah, the, the situation here, the certain members carrying placards have located the mill street, which is actually before, uh, in front of, which is in front of the Chura House, which is the departmental, Department of Education offices. They are singing and chanting slogans. They are carrying here, uh, placards which are actually calling on, 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 on the, on the, on the basic, uh, Department of Education Minister, Ejimotseha, and for to resign from their positions because they are saying it's some of the some of uh, the, the the concerns they are raising. They say these two officials should actually be fired because they are incompetent. They they are saying the the two the 480 million that was used for biometrics for teachers to to stamp their thumbs uh, was was actually not was not uh, allowed uh, by the teachers. The, and the black some of the blackers they are carrying are indicating that they can never apologize uh, for the fight in the fight for their right that is not they are not actually apologetic so so that is the situation and they had a night vigil whereby uh all, all in, in in four in four areas of the province that is Coxside, um Durban, and newcastle they had a night vision night vigil there whereby they were actually intensifying their campaign calling for the resignation of the two official uh, leaders of education how many teachers are we talking about here uh, that are gathered there? But also, where are they from? Are they from the city centre or are they from uh, the Greater Durban or the whole of uh, KwaZulu Natal? No, they are not from the whole of KwaZulu Natal. They are just from the areas around Durban. But when I was asking them about the the the, the teaching, uh, the effective teaching that is actually taking place at schools, they said actually Angie uh, Monteca should actually realise that what has what she has done to them is actually uh, they they are not responsible. It's she that is responsible because they regard Angie as having done nothing for them in the past. Uh, Four years, so so they are saying uh, they are they are, they are saying they are just like fed up. They say they are saying enough is enough. Now let, let's talk about uh, the, the the picketing itself. They said there will be it, it will be a structured uh, picketing uh, campaign happening before uh, the start of the school hours and during uh, lunch breaks. Uh, is, is that what they are saying, or they want now to even uh, eat up on uh, uh, as, uh, teaching and learning uh, hours? When I was talking to Dolin Kaluza, who is the deputy secretary of the province, um, she was saying only the, the leaders that they've invited to come down here and teachers have been left to school. But they are saying they are using a work to rule principle, meaning that they are not working extra hours. They don't do morning, uh, uh, morning classes and afternoon classes. And they only work, so she says, they only work seven hours per day, which they, she says that is a work to rule principle and they are actually intensifying because they, she is saying there will be a march on the 24th whereby a march in, in the country in, in, in Pretoria whereby they will actually be calling in, uh, insisting on the calling of this uh, um, basic minister of education and the uh, GDG Subrian to, to, to be off of their position Stundlovo is our reporter in Durban thank you very much just uh, one SMS here coming from Pete in, Bloom, in Bloemfontein saying that if Satu works a seven-hour day, they will double their time in school. So many teachers have never seen 1 p.m. outside their car or house. Very interesting, this one coming from Pete there. It's uh, 19 and a half past 12.
Our top story this hour, British police say they are expecting some protests and one group of people say they will turn their backs on the funeral procession as uh, Lady Maggie, uh, that's a Thatcher's coffin, passes by. And uh, looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,382.99 an ounce. Platinum trading at $1,441.50 an ounce. The rand trading at 9 rand 16 cents against the US dollar at 13.99 to the pound and at 12 rand 6 cents to the euro. My name is Ashraf Ganda, and I'm one of the ambassadors of the Shake the World Millennium Bracelet campaign, which aims to raise social awareness of the eight Millennium Development Goals set by the United Nations in the year 2000. Now, all the goals are equally important and interlinked, but the ones closest to my heart are Goal 2, which is achieve universal primary education, and Goal 4, which is reduce child mortality. Education, as you know, empowers you, and it should give you economic freedom, which should then reduce the number of child deaths. Now, by wearing these colorful beaded bracelets, I'm pledging my support and commitment to helping my country achieve the MDGs through active citizenship. That's how I'm shaking the world. How do you shake the world? This is SAFM. Twenty-one minutes past twelve. This is midday live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Uh, the South African Post Office has told Parliament's Communications Committee that uh, the ongoing labour strikes by post office workers are having a serious impact on its net profit. The Post Bank also raised concerns at how SAA's cargo flights had impacted on its delivery of uh, courier services towards the end of last year. And it, is, uh, it also emerged that uh, the legal establishment of the Post Bank will happen soon. Now, joining us on the line to discuss this more is uh, the Head of uh, Communications at the South African Post Office, uh, Kulani Koma. Good afternoon to you. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much, Kulane. Let alone really the bottom line that is shrinking every day, but the inconvenience caused by the strike at the post office. What is this strike all about? Well, the current strike is about, um, you know, casual workers seeking to be converted to permanent uh, employees within the organization. So essentially, in a nutshell, that would be that is what this strike is all about. Mm. And, and, and just remind us, because you know it's been going on for, for a long time, but how long exactly has it been going on? Well, you may actually be putting two uh, probably uh, different strikes together. We had one strike which ended about two weeks ago. That was illegal, and it was based on, any, on nothing really that had to do with the South African Post Office. Mm. Essentially, employees, some employees uh, started agitating against the organization, uh, purporting that they were being owed billions of rents by the company. And what resulted, there was a strike that lasted for quite a while, resulting in, 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 in a huge loss for the company from revenue and other perspectives. So the one, the strike that we talk about now probably will be, will be one that actually commenced yesterday. And that actually is legal. And it's about uh, this particular matter of uh, being converted to permanent uh, employment. So it's nationwide? It, not necessarily. This one is actually limited to, how, not Gauteng necessarily, but to Vespos, which is our main delivery center uh, within Gauteng region. And uh, how many uh, workers are we talking about here who have gone on this strike now? We're looking at about plus or minus 200 employees that have embarked on a strike. And the impact of this strike, what, what, what would it be, I mean, when you look at uh, the, the, the kind of work that they do? The impact at this particular moment is, is not discernible, uh, given the fact that it commenced yesterday and it appears we're still able to actually move on with the activity related to delivering mails. So, however, one would not uh, shy from, away from the fact that there will be certainly be uh, some impact in terms of a uh, backlog mm. of the of the mail that should reach our customers. And it's not gonna, there's no short-term solution to this one, I would assume. And and how are you dealing with it so that uh, the, the the impact really is is minimal? 
Well, um, the, the, we have ongoing conversations with uh, the striking employees at, at, at this particular moment. We, we realize that you cannot afford another strike, especially if it's going to be protracted. So we are engaging them. We, we, we also asking for their cooperation in terms of uh, helping us uh, proceed with uh, what we're supposed to do. Because it's, it, well, while, while it's their own strike, they don't necessarily have to block uh, the service, in fact, the activity aimed at um, helping our customers as we should. So, so we are engaging them, and also we 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 are seeking alternatives in terms of, uh, you know, um, augmenting the the capacity which will be reduced by the fact that some employees are on strike at this particular moment. But beyond this particular issue. Uh, the management across the board is actually seized with finding a lasting solution, a solution around, uh, you know, the strike, which appear to be quite a feature in respect of the South African Post Office. Mm. So, yes. And, and, and uh, of course, it, it can't be uh, business as usual. I mean, uh, the, the, the revenue for the third quarter of 2011-12 uh, was below budget by 196 million rand. And uh, you can even expect worse now for the 12, 13 uh, uh, financial period. Yes, it should be. It must be appreciated that the, the demands at hand are a bit untenable for the group, especially as you mentioned the point that we've just done. Um, the, 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 you have, we have more than 5,000 casual employees within the organization. So if those were to be all converted uh, to permanent positions, it says it would be out of kilter with our, our, our labor or operational demands. Two, it is not affordable. So essentially, from how things are actually shaping up with us from a, um, a delivery point of view, we have to have casuals in our employ at one point or another, given the peaks and troughs that are attended to how we deliver services. Mm. So converting them is essentially an impossibility given the numbers I've just given you of uh, all the people that we have under that kind of an employment situation within the organization. All right, you're going to have to leave it at that. Thank you very much, Kulani Koma, Head of Communications at the South African Post Office. 27 past 12. Advocate Dumisan Sabeza, who is representing the families of mine workers who died during the Marikana unrest in August last year, has told the National Police Commissioner Ria Pieja that his clients had hoped she could give them answers about what happened in August. Sebeza also wanted to know why Pierre took the job as the National Police Commissioner. Let's talk now to our reporter from Rustenburg, Lizette Labuskakhni. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Bongi. Surely uh, Commissioner Pierre was not too chuffed at uh, uh, the question by uh, Advocate Dumisan Sebeza as to why did uh, she take that job as the National Police Commissioner. Bongi, she was indeed not the only one that was not impressed. Um, her advocate, um, advocate Ishmael Samenia for the police also objected to that question, saying he does not see how it is actually relevant to um, what we are busy discussing here at the commission. Now, you all remember that Samenia was the one who actually led Piecha um, through her um, curriculum vitae when she first started testifying here. And... Um, now today, Dumisa Nzabenza went over some of these um, points saying she's got managerial experience in business and obviously as a social worker, but she's got no police management experience and um, obviously saying that he doesn't think that she um, necessarily is um, the right person for the job. Um, but Piecha did say, you know, that, that she's managing um, a large corporation and she thinks her management experience is enough um, for her to be a good uh, police commissioner. And what else came out? It was quite an emotional day today. You know, Nzabenza, uh, from the start of his cross-examination, said his client obviously wants to know what had happened, and they want Piecha to take responsibility also for what the police has done um, on the August 16th. In a very bizarre twist of events, he um, asked Piecha if she's willing to admit that police were indeed the ones who shot mine workers on, a 30, um, on the 16th of August. Um, and Piecha said no, um, she's not willing to go that far to say that police were the ones responsible for the killing of the mine workers, even though we can see on video footage that police are shooting at mine workers. Um, she says she's not a judge. She cannot decide if it was police. She doesn't know who shot who. And um, 
Dumisa and Zabenzo specifically wanted to know why no police officials were yet suspended or why no charges were instituted against these police officials yet. Mm. Um, he said when uh, Mira Masia's case um, came to light, uh, Pierre acted immediately and she suspended all of those police officials involved in his case. And why um, is she not doing the same now? Um, so our answer to that was that she doesn't know that the police were indeed the ones that did shoot mine workers and that later investigations will determine that. Um, that was obviously did not go off well with the family members and we did see some of them also starting to cry again. I'm not happy with the way that she is answering questions. And uh, very briefly, I see here uh, also advocate uh, Dumis and Cerveza really trying to uh, suggest that uh, Pierre has not provided answers because uh, he's saying that uh, he, his clients had hoped she could give them answers about what really happened uh, in August last year. Uh, he's actually suggesting that she's very vague. And um, he said, he asked her if she can explain to him what does it mean to take the oath and um, if she knows what it means to actually tell the truth, suggesting that um, she's not actually saying all that she knows and she's not actually giving proper answers. And um, she was not happy with that, saying that her understanding is that it means that she should tell the whole truth and um, nothing but the truth. And um, at some stage, she even asked um, Judge Farlam to intervene, saying that she does not want to answer unfair questions, um, which she then said to Ms. Antabenza is asking her Hmm. unfair questions. Lizette Labusakhmi, thank you very much, our reporter in Rustenburg. Just after half past, and we say good afternoon once again to Asanda Matsanyan with the news headlines. I hope you're not asking me, but uh, yeah, we'll be listening between one and two, Nancy Richards with Otherwise. Shortly, we'll be talking to Irvin Jim. He's the General Secretary of uh, NUMSA, uh, one of uh, Kosatu's biggest unions there. As you know, they're having their National, Barg- Barg- National Bargaining Council uh, conference going on in Pretoria, while uh, the National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa is preparing a game plan for higher wages and uh, better working conditions. The union is uh, meeting in Pretoria. Uh, for its National Bargaining Council, which continues until Friday. The conference, which was opened by NUMSA President Cedric Gina yesterday, is de- deliberating on a wide range of issues, including the National Development Plan, legal challenges to the Labor Relations Act, the state of Umbrella Body Kosatu, and the Trapatat Alliance. Busi Chimombe reports. NUMSA will not stand by and watch government implement the National Development Plan. The union wants a rethink of the vision that will guide South Africa's economy until 2030. NUMSA Secretary-General Irvin Jim says the battle against the NDP is one against neoliberal strategies and their harmful effects on workers. It stands against the Freedom Charter in the interests of the working class and the poor. It protects the historic and vested interests of white monopoly and imperialist capital. It hides the complete failure of GEAR to meet its objective of growth, employment and redistribution. It continues to promise us that redistribution will come after growth, when we know that growth can only come through redistribution. The union has clashed with Alliance partners with regards to the NDP. Speaking to the 450 shop stewards attending the Bargaining Council conference, Jim expressed his disappointment with the SACP in particular. They went public, they have endorsed it, and when we, what we found in the NTP, there is nothing that is advancing working class interest. Now people are speaking English, we, we support broad trust. Broad trust of what? Because comrade, we expect the SACP to vanguard us as the working class. We expect the working class, the SACP, to tell us flaws in any policy document that is coming our way. We have to find it our way. Now, come I think like, we, we, we must speak the truth, man, because we're going to confuse people. As NUMSA continues to struggle against the challenges presented by capital, all is not well within its own ranks as labor. The union, a staunch supporter of Kosato Secretary General Zulinzi Mavavi, will also need to discuss this week how to maintain unity within the Labor Federation. Vavi will be the focus of an investigation into Kosato's political and organizational issues expected to commence on Friday, specifically allegations of corruption relating to the sale of Kosato's old headquarters. Gina is not convinced that such an investigation will heal the rifts in the organization and appears to be suggesting a political solution. We will give the process a chance as requested by the leadership of Kosato. However, our central committee that meets on Friday 
cannot escape a discussion that has been put in the public domain by the Food and Allied Workers Union. The Food and Allied Workers Union seems to believe that we have taken too long to resolve the hangover from the COSATU Congress and maybe a special COSATU Congress can be a better solution. The organization and labor as a whole is also facing a serious legal challenge in the shape of the Free Market Foundation's application to the Constitutional Court of the Labor Relations Act. The FMF wants to stop wage agreements extending to companies which are not party to such negotiations, as is currently the case. FMF Chairperson Herman Mashaba came in for some scathing criticism from Jim. This man who used to sell products at the boot of his car in black townships have joined the capitalist class and he wants to prove a point that he can brutalize the working class better than capitalists who were born as capitalists. Workers must see what we have always said, that capitalists are the same, black like me or white like them. And, uh, of course, uh, NUM General Secretary, the Irvin Jim, ending that report by Busi Chimombe. He joins us on the line. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Jim. I'm not representing NUM. I'm representing NUM, sir. Oh, yeah, that, that, that will be problematic. <laughs> My sincere apologies. It's NUM, sir. But good, afternoon. Noom, uh, good afternoon. But NUM is your, is your sister uh, uh, affiliate. No, but it must be there who speak. It's me who speak for NUM, sir. It needs to be clarified. All right. Got you. But let's start with this one. Are, are you, are, is NUM calling for early elections uh, at Kosatu? No. I think what NUMSA bargaining conferences have done, and the president reflected on it, is that a very important of affiliate of COSATU, FAU, basically in its NEC took a decision that in the light of people who are tiptoeing in the shadows, who continue to leak and distort discussions in the Federation, and um, in the process, they continue with a consistent program to basically to character assassinate mm-hmm. the General Secretary. FAO took a view, which it is selling and calling to Kosato affiliates to trigger, is that because we have been meeting and every after meeting there are people who continue to leak, who are, who are distorting, who are destructive, Fowl says we, we recently had the Congress last year. Mm. It might be the solution that we basically convene workers once more for workers to take full responsibility for their own federation, both for the program they endorsed, but also to ensure that they bring an end to the current quagmire of sources that are changed in the media and so forth quite frankly, with a very destructive agenda. And what the NUMSA bargaining conference was raising was saying, look, this issue that FAO is raising is an important step. Um, but however, even if finally we take a decision in the Central Committee this coming Friday, um, we would have to persuade the rest of other Kosato unions to agree to that. I see. But uh, does NUMSA really uh, want uh, uh, Kosato's General Secretary, Zuelinzi Mavavi, investigated? Look, from where we stand, I'm not at liberty to talk about the internal issues that are internal in the federation and they get preempted by the sources. The truth of the matter, which is what is making workers angry, is that there is no solution who's under investigation. Mm. There has been allegations that have been leveled against him, against him. There has been a, a, an agreed process that a meeting of general secretaries and, 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 and presidents must be convened. And those meetings have met more than once now. And the purpose is to look on those allegations to find a permanent solution to them. And there has been uh, two individuals that have been appointed to facilitate that discussion. The problem is that whenever we meet to go through that process, the following day, leaks in the media, there are people 
who isolate Zerenzi Mavazi, who lie about the meetings that are attended. That's the problem. Who, who will be those people? Well, they, they don't put their names there. The media um, being faithless and sources, that's what they do. All right, let, let's talk about the NDP. I mean, your president, Cedric Dina, likening that uh, document to a, a DA uh, a copy, really. It's a copy of a DA document. Weren't you part of the drafting of uh, that document through your uh, alliance partner, the ANC? Which document? The NDP? Yes. No, no, no. The NDP, there has been a process that we have engaged with. It was made submissions. Um, after the diagnosis report, and um, there was no COSADU discussion, um, and, uh, and I think COSADU did make submission as well, but there was no alliance meeting where we agreed that this is the plan now, it is endorsed by us. We raised problems right from diagnosis um, to the plan itself, and uh, we were left behind. All what happened was that when we were in Mangawung, this document was recommended, and when the president spoke, he recommended that we must, it must be debated in the ANC and endorsed. Our problem is that business agrees with it, the ANC agrees with it. It is a bit shocking that you could be in an alliance and there's a plan for 2030, but the components of the alliance have not been taken on board now, this document obviously adopted uh, in Mangawung and uh, it, it becomes really the, the ruling party's document and government document at some point. 2014 ANC elections and uh, NUMSA, where are you in the mix of all that? <laughs> All right, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to limit that. I, I really apologize, uh, Mr. Um, uh, Jim, the Evan Jim Numsa General Secretary. The line is really really terrible, but uh, really we wanted to know because they are discussing that particular issue of uh, uh, the ANC 2014 election. So we wanted to find out uh, what is uh, going on there and uh, what will be there. There uh, really deliberations around that uh, particular issue. Consumer inflation remained unchanged for the month of March, coming in at five This is below market expectations of 6.1%. This comes as the Reserve Bank has raised concerns uh, about uh, the threat of uh, stagflation. Uh, Stagflation occurs when uh, demand is weak and uh, inflation and unemployment are high. For more on this now, let's uh, talk to uh, our economics reporter, Dimakasa Lishoro, in the studio with me. Good afternoon. Hi, Talk Talk us through the stagflation again. Just unpack that for us. Basically, you know, it's a concept. It happens when you've got high levels of unemployment, as we are seeing in the country, mm. and we, you have um, increasing inflationary pressures, like we've seen uh, with the price of, you know, things like electricity or fuel, uh, as well as weak demand. I mean, we've seen that sort of weak demand uh, for our products uh, externally, uh, you know, in mining uh, uh, metals, uh, with regards to uh, export markets as well. The eurozone, you know, they've been in recession for a prolonged period. Mm. So uh, that's why you have that sort of, um, yeah, this deflation. Uh, and uh, the market really expected uh, consumer inflation to come in at 6.1%, coming in at 5.9%. Uh, was the market surprised by these figures? Of course. I mean, a lot of analysts that I spoke to last month when we were doing the story for uh, February, they were saying that by March, uh, inflation would have breached the upper level of the uh, Reserve Bank target band, which is 6%. Mm. But we've seen that, you know, it's, 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 it's remained constant. So uh, it's, it's sort of good news in that it stayed within the target band for longer, but you know, a lot of economists are expecting that it will pierce the target band either, you know, this month or but certainly before June. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and what are the contributing factors? Mostly it's, in, it's external factors, you know. Uh, uh, we've seen the increases, as I mentioned, in the price, crude oil prices, the price of oil going up, uh, the price of, electric, of uh, petrol going up, the price of electricity going up. So mostly it's external factors. Uh, which, uh, you know, one cannot really con- control. Mm.
And 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 the Reserve Bank is is. Do you think uh, it will be excited at this? I'm just thinking they have their targets, and the inflation also is uh, has a mind of its own. Not necessarily. I mean, if if you look at what the the governor said yesterday, she was the one who said that we are we are facing that threat of stagflation, and mm. this is particularly difficult to get out of Bongi. Uh, you know, a lot of economists are saying already we are in a mild stagflation, mm. so we're not only facing the risk already; it's happening. You know, so if if this way to dip in. It, it's difficult to get out of because uh, you, you, you need uh, the economy to grow, but at the same time, you cannot not have a situation where prices increase. Mm. As an example, we have the looming increases in the price of electricity. Hopefully, petrol will be going down uh, next month because mm. of the uh, you know uh, lower levels in terms of crude oil prices. And the rent firming. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. But uh, what, what does this all mean at the end of the day? Are we in a, in, a, in, a, in a worse situation right now than we were maybe a couple of months ago? Are we improving as a country? Just help us understand really generally where are we. Let's put it this way. Let's mm. look, at, for example, at the upcoming season of wage negotiations starting in, in, in May. Yes. It's very likely... Right, that we will see more than above inflation wage increases. That it certainly will certainly result in in job losses, because we've seen strikes being so violent. So uh, employers tend to uh, accede to the workers' demand, mm. but at the later stage they retrench people. What does that mean? It means more people are out of work. Mm. There's less consumer spending. You know that the economy has been driven by consumer spending mm. largely to a certain degree. A lot of us as consumers are under pressure now because of the debt. Most of us have not been able to pay off our debts because of, you know, we've not been able to take advantage of the lower interest rates. Mm. Instead, we've piled more and more debt. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Meaning that our disposable income is lower. So we, we can't spend. Meaning that that has an effect then on, on, on economic growth. I mean, if you look at what the IMF was saying yesterday, they basically slashed uh, South Africa's economic growth for 2014, saying from 4.1 to 3.3% for 2014. This year they're expecting 2.8% uh, growth. And this is in line with what economists are saying. Okay. We're expecting growth of less than 3%. So it has huge ramifications for all of us. All right, uh, thank you very much, Dimakasole Shoro, there for unpacking uh, those figures for us. Consumer inflation remaining unchanged for the month of March, coming in at uh, 5.9%. With that, we say good afternoon to Mpomo, and maybe to unpack this even further. Has the higher-than-expected March inflation figures uh, affected trade today, Mpo? Uh, it certainly has, uh, Bongi. We trading lower on uh, also news that uh, the IMF has uh, revised South Africa's uh, growth numbers down. Markets are also lower in Europe, where the foot is down 0.55%, DEX down 1.3%, and the CAC 40 is 1.2% lower. Uh, we've got the, the DAF futures indicating a lower close, as they are 64 points uh, uh, down at the moment. Back to the JSC, we've got the gold index down 2.1%, resource index down 2%, Industrial index up a quarter of a percent. Financial index up three quarters of a percent. The overall market is down 229 points, or 0.6 of a percent, to 38,201 points. Very little news uh, other than uh, from Consolidated Infrastructure Group and uh, an announcement by Zadir. Uh, firstly, Consolidated Infrastructure released their interim result. Headline earnings per share were up uh, 23% to 59 cents, as against uh, 47.8 cents previously. In line with the company policy, no interim dividend was declared. Consolidated Infrastructure Group is currently trading 4.75% lower at 18 rents. Zida Investment announced that it has reached an agreement to acquire Total Produce PLC's entire stake in Cape Spend Group for a total consideration of 258 million rents. This will bring Zida's shareholding in Cape Spend to 71.1%. Cape Spend is a global food procurement company and South Africa's biggest fruit exporter. We've got Zida currently trading 0.2% lower at 3 rents and 52 cents. And uh, any big movers today? On the upside, we got Brimstone up 3.1% to 12 rands and 99 cents. Naspers up uh, 3.2% to 584 rands and 28 cents. Distel up 2.4% to 117 rands and 75 cents. Bidvest up 1.7% to 228 rands and 84 cents. Supergroup up 1.4% to 24 rands and 13 cents. On the downside, we got Lonmin down 5.7% to 36 rands and 90 cents. Sibania Gold down 3.8% to 10 rands and 2 cents. Anglo Gold Ashanti down 2.9% to 167 rands and 40 cents. 
Uh, Hudeco also down 2.9% to 86 cents and 28 cents. And lastly, Tongat down 2.8% to 127 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? The gold price is currently quoted at $1,383.86 an ounce. Platinum, $1,436.75 a fine ounce. Brent crude, $99.47 per barrel. The Garmin R157 is trading at the yield of 5.27%. And now to our currencies, the range to the dollar is at 9 rands and 16 cents. The range to the euro is at 12 rands and 6 cents. The rent to the pound is at 18 rands and 99 cents. Back to you. Thank you very much, Tim Paul More of Sasfin Securities. Let's go to the UK now, where the funeral of former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher is currently underway at St. Paul's Cathedral. Cathedral. It's, it's being attended by uh, over 2,000 mourners, including uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth there. For more on this now, let's go to our London correspondent, Oli Borat. Good afternoon to you, Oli. Good afternoon. Uh, British police saying that uh, they are expecting some protests and, of course, at the back of what happened in Boston, surely there is a tight security there. Just talk us through what's happening at the moment. Very tight security indeed. 4,000 police officers on the streets of London. Um, in terms of protests, there have been some people protesting, but they've been pretty low-key and pretty respectful so far. There was one quite large group of protesters uh, near to St Paul's Cathedral who simply turned their backs en masse as Margaret Thatcher's coffin went past on the way towards the cathedral. There was not the the booing uh, that we had perhaps expected from some demonstrators. 4,000 police officers on the streets. uh, Please saying, though, that the security plan has not really been affected by what took place in Boston earlier this week because this is such a large event. It's such a different event as well to... Uh, policing a marathon, and it's an event that's actually been planned for many years now, and so police insisting they were well prepared, but there has been a very visible presence of police on the streets of London. As for what's happening right now, well, the service is just wrapping up in St. Paul's Cathedral. Uh, The congregation currently singing, singing the hymn, I Vow to Be My Country, which was chosen especially by Margaret Thatcher. She wanted this to be a patriotic occasion. Um, a few minutes left of the service and then her her coffin will then go off with the family for a private service at a crematorium in the southwest of London. Thank you very much uh, to our London uh, correspondent Oli Borat. It's uh, seven minutes to one. With that, it's uh, time for Create with Michelle Constant. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. The State Theatre in Pretoria, in association with the Playhouse Company, is currently staging the production Race. The play, which was written by American playwright David Mamet, revolves around three lawyers, two partners, one African-American, one white, and a young African-American law clerk, who, after much debate, decided to defend a wealthy white man accused of raping an African-American woman. They each grapple with the evidence of the case and their own prejudices around race as well as their own core values. Director Claire Mortimer and actor Michael Richard, who plays the role of the legal partner Jack Lawson, believe that it's important not to localise the production in order to highlight the issue of race and prejudice as a universal one. The thing I've been asked the most by students and other people is, why didn't you localise it? Why didn't you make it in South African accent? And it's, I think, quite empowering for South Africans to watch a play set in the United States with United States accents and all that and dealing with what it is that we deal with on a daily basis. What it does, it allows a distance, it allows the audience to actually think, gosh, this happens in America as well. Not just, oh, it's only happening here. So it gives you that comparison. In other words, it becomes universal and also gives you a reference about your own country. Portraying the character of the accused is Graham Hopkins. He quotes one of the lines which he believes summarizes the crux of the play. Michael Richard, as the lead character, has one of the most wonderful lines in the play. And I've quoted for you, he says, race is the most incendiary topic in our history. And once you let it out, there's no closing that box. And that's absolutely what the play is about. It's about once we bring race into any kind of dialectic, the pun intentional, it colors the dialectic. We cannot remove the race factor from the discussions that we're having, the perceptions that we have, the prejudices that we have. Apart from race, the production also deals with moral issues such as betrayal, trust and lies. It's a very interesting play in that it poses a number of difficult moral questions around race, around justice, whether the law does what it's meant to do, and how we tell lies based on our perceptions of each other. And race, obviously, is a very large 
part of that perception. It's funny because we see characters caught out and the mistrust and betrayal and allegiances as well. So it's a very hot topic and I think it's the sort of topic that South Africans need to see. Both Shomla Dandala and Nondomiso Tembe, who play the characters of the black legal partner Henry Brown and Susan, the young black female law clerk, respectively, found it interesting as to how the play highlights how the law can be manipulated. What attracted me more about race was actually more about the legal repartee and just a different take on the legal process and how if you then apply issues of race, how that plays out. It's so fascinating how the law can be manipulated and used to skew the jury, a.k.a. the audience, to sort of empathize with the person that the lawyers want them to empathize with. That it's not so much about who's guilty, right or wrong, and justice. It's about winning the case. According to Tembe, she first questioned the choices that Susan had made, and she found it challenging to portray such an ambiguous character. The character of Susan, when I first encountered her, to tell you the truth, I didn't really like her. I think she makes some perhaps morally questionable choices, but I've actually found a lot in her, and I've sort of found empathy for her, and I think, I hope, I've been able to understand and portray her perspective. I love the fact that she really cares about justice and the reason she wants to be a lawyer is because she wants to fight the good fight. And I really identify with that. But, you know, it has been a wonderful challenge, I have to say, to portray a character who's sort of so ambiguous. She's neither the good guy or the bad guy. So it's really been sort of fun playing that gray area. Mamet's most recognized style is his sparse, sharp dialogue, which Mortimer found exciting to direct. It's called Mamet Speak. That's the way he writes. He writes in the most awkward fashion when you read it on the page. But in fact, on stage, it works. You've got to obey the pauses, obey what he's doing, because that is actually how we speak. We talk over each other, we speak in circles, and we pick ourselves into corners, and he's so on that. And it's difficult for the players, very, very difficult. And yes, the actors did find it challenging. The technicality of dealing with David Mamet, who is an incredibly technical writer, requires a great deal of discipline, I suppose, and commitment, and it stretches you amazingly. It's a very wordy play, but the words are magnificent. It allows you to really use them, and they are sharp. They like razors, these words. Race will be running at the State Theatre in Pretoria until the 28th of April. I'm Michelle Constant. This feature is produced by Monique Stander, and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create, proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa, creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at barsa.co.za. Of course, once again, unable to read uh, some of your SMSs, but this one from Litsolo in Soshanguve, Pretoria, saying that your wife is one of the frustrated unemployed graduates. She has got a national diploma in electrical engineering. You don't know what to do anymore. All right, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do uh, for you well, insofar as that one is concerned. Top stories making headlines today, according to a research published by the Center for Development and Enterprise. The problem of uh, graduate unemployment is uh, exaggerated. One of uh, the researchers there from the Stellenbosch University is Hendrik van Broekhuizen. As it stands from the approximately 1.1 million graduates that were in the labor force at the end of 2011, only about 58,000 of them are actually unemployed. South African Democratic Teachers Union members in KwaZulu-Natal are gathered outside the provincial education offices at Truro House in Durban to begin their picketing. Our reporter is Stunjovo. The SATU members carrying placards have located the mill street, which is in front of the Tura House, which is the Department of Education offices, calling on the basic Department of Education Minister, Eji Moseha, and Bobi Subrian to resign from their positions. And the team today, Mabubuluka and Molobohang Sibidi, Senior Producer, Nomalizo Mandela, Technical Producer, Mark Prella, Executive Producers, Busi Chan and Obrisichie. We'll see you tomorrow for your Thursday edition of Midday Live.